Hi, I'm Rifka. And I'm Ida. Welcome to the From the Inside Out podcast. We are entrepreneurs and friends who love connecting through meaningful conversations. It all started in an Uber, where we were both inspired by each other's life experiences. We decided then and there to create this platform because we believe in the power of connection and growth through sharing our experiences. Here we share research-backed tools, tips, and shortcuts, and interviews with some of our world's greatest thinkers, leaders, and everyday heroes who inspire us to create positive change in mind, body, and soul. From the inside out. Can self-help books really change your life? International best-selling author and journalist Marianne Power sought to answer that question. Marianne wanted to find out what would happen if she really did follow the seven habits of highly effective people. If she really did feel the power of now. Could life be transformed? Could she get rich, skinny, find love, be more productive and fulfilled? She really did want all the things that these books promise, and she was set on finding out if they really worked. She committed to testing a book a month for one year, following its advice to the letter, taking what she hoped would be the surest path to a flawless new her. But as the months passed and Marianne's reality was turned upside down, she found herself confronted with a different question. Self-help can change your life, but is it for the better? We were introduced to Marianne in our interview with the late Lord Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, where he mentioned her book as an example of how self-help is often no help at all. So I've read so many self-help books. Um, You've read a lot. (laughs) I've read a lot and and partly because I studied psychology and they're very much rooted in psychology, but also because I just wanted to know, like, what are the tips for being more productive and, and living better? And I feel like we're always growing. I had also read not all of the books that she had read, but some of them, like The Power of Now, Daring Greatly, um, Louise Hay's book. There were a few of them there that I had read and some of them I hadn't. And it was interesting to read about all of them and see how she put them into action. And I really liked the conversation that you're about to listen to because it's all about like, what's the balance? What's the balance of reading a self-help book and then how should we apply it in our lives? Like, what can we take from it? What's yeah, not I, good about it and what's good about it. Yeah. And I, I think that you and I, Rifka, always try to approach issues with, you know, an open mind enough to really try to understand both sides of the issue and then let our listeners come to their own conclusions based on their experiences. I had read almost all of the books that she shared. It was very interesting for me just to hear it from her perspective. And yeah. I th- she really opened my mind to a new way of thinking. And I, um, I really enjoyed the conversation and I hope that you enjoy it as well. Yeah. And she's a lovely person. I really enjoyed her energy. And of course, as always, please do not, don't forget to subscribe and leave feedback. Um, We really value you being part of this community. And we hope that we hope that this platform is meaningful for you and that there are takeaways that can improve your life. And we appreciate all the feedback. Don't forget to subscribe and to write a review as well. We love your feedback. Um, So, okay, we are so excited to introduce you to Marianne Power. Enjoy. Hi there. Where are you? Grey, grey, grey London. London. Grey London. (laughs) Yes, today is a stay in bed day for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Feeling like that after the year that we've had. Yeah. I feel like in London, you probably appreciate a beautiful day, maybe more than we do in Florida. You get so excited. Yeah. There was was a blue sky that happened last week and the whole world was out and... (laughs) 
Yes. Well, you know, it's it's been pretty gray in New York too, and it's been snowing, and it's been similar to London. I'm I'm with you. Um, yeah, it's been a tough winter because you know, just with the darkness and the weather, and but it's gone. It's all gone. It's just gone on a very long time, isn't it? Oh my, it's been a year. It's been a year yeah. now. I mean, who would have thought? Who would have who thought? thought? No. Thank you. Uh, first and foremost, we both have your book in front of us. Look, oh, at, all yes, your, look at all your post-its. <laughs> look at so, all here. <laughs> so nice to see a beautiful face in person after reading all, all the things you've been through through each uh, self-help book. Yeah, when it first came out, I would get messages from people saying, just want to check, are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, I am. <laughs> Before we kind of delve in, I, I'd love for our listeners who don't know you and haven't read your book yet, if you can just briefly uh, introduce yourself and tell us how you came to write this incredibly thought-provoking book on self-help. So I'm Marianne Power, and I started the self-help project when I was in my late 30s, and I was living in London, and I was a journalist, and you know, had good friends, and I had a nice wardrobe of clothes, and you know, on paper, there was really nothing wrong, but I was quite lost and unhappy um, a lot of the time, and my friends were kind of going through the the normal milestones of getting married, having children, buying houses. I didn't seem to be doing any of that. And so I was just stuck. And at that time I was drinking quite a lot and I was watching a lot of the Kardashians and then I was reading tons of self-help and friends would just laugh at me because, you know, it's it's always slightly embarrassing to have a really hardcore self-help habit. And and they would say that I was a really bad advert for it because I read this as one book called How to Stop Worrying and Start Living, which I read three times and, you know, like worried constantly. But then I just had this idea that the reason that the self-help never helped me was because I didn't do anything the books told me to do. You know, I'd kind of read them. It's a bit like buying a cookbook and then ordering takeout. You know, I, I was reading them and going, yeah, 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 yeah. And then never doing any any of the tips. And so then I had this idea that I would spend a year reading self-help books, doing everything they told me to do to see if I could sort of just fix my life. And I really, I really did think if I just tried hard enough and did all the things they said that by the end of the year, I could just become like this, you know, perfect person. And then, you know, like one of those people that you see, well, I guess on Instagram (laughs) or magazines, you know, I really, was so naive really, but I actually believed that if you just tried hard enough, you could be that person. And spoiler alert, that didn't that didn't happen at all. <laughs> but I learned a lot along the way. Right. Do you feel like it changed your life? And did you find the answers you were looking for? So it didn't change my life in any of the ways I wanted it to. So I didn't become rich. I didn't start an amazing business. You know, like I used to read these like profiles of supermodel entrepreneurs who would get up at four in the morning to start their business while then bringing up their children and having this, I don't know, I had this very high notion of, what success looked like and you know I think I I ended up being more in debt as the year went on I was actually getting more probably more depressed in pe- periods of it because I was putting myself under so much pressure um, to try and be perfect so no it didn't go at all how I wanted it to but I learned so so much really so much and I did things that I would never have done before so I had experiences that definitely changed me so the first book I followed was called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway which I'm sure loads of your listeners will know and she says that when you see people that go off and do these amazing things in life you think that they're just different to you and she says they're not the only difference is they just are used to being scared and doing it anyway and so in that first month of my project I did stand-up comedy 
Um, I performed naked modeling, public speaking. I jumped out of a plane. And so throughout the year, I did these incredible things, which didn't ever result in me feeling like a perfect sorted person, but they kind of expanded my comfort zone. So, you know, without kind of realizing it, I still have stand up comedy as my benchmark that very few things will be as scary as stand up comedy. Um, Right. So I did, I did a lot. I learned a lot about myself. Um, And mostly this is, it sounds so cliched and annoyingly, you just don't feel it until you feel it. But I really learned that there isn't such a thing as a perfect human. Like we all feel like a bit of a mess. It really doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. And someone could have told me that before and I just didn't believe them. Um, you had to kind of go through it. You had to find that head against the wall enough times to just you, realize, yeah, we all have good days and bad days and um, that I was kind of just fine the way I was. Right. But I also don't regret any of it because I learned so much along the way. Yeah, you, you yeah. really road tested these 12 self-help books and, and applied the recommended tools from them in your life. I, I was actually wondering if any of them stand out to you or you would recommend one or two Ooh. over the others to a friend or loved one. I wonder which ones you would choose. So The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle is my standout favourite. So I tried reading that book before this project and I just couldn't understand a word of it. It's written in quite a strange way. And maybe it's I love that book. Books. Yeah, I think it might be one of those books that when it's just the right time, you get it. Maybe it doesn't work until it's the right time. Because I tried before and I just gave up on page three. It was because just the language was too dense. And then this time it was like, you know, just everything felt like the truth. And so Eckhart Tolle, for um, your listeners who don't know, he he says that if you walk down the street and you see people, you know, talking to themselves, we think they're a bit crazy, but we're actually all talking to ourselves all the time. We all have this voice inside our head saying, why did you do that? What's going to happen next? La, la, la. This kind of critical, worrying voice. And he says that this voice causes us so much unhappiness and also bad physical health because it drains us of all our energy. And this voice is always either worrying about what's coming next or it's beating ourselves up and criticizing something we did in the past. And so we miss the thing that, that only ever matters. And that's the only thing that's real, which is what's happening right now this second. And so he has this question, yep. which sounds easier um, to live by than it actually is. But he says that when you're worrying, which you know, I imagine lots of us have been doing this last 12 months, to ask yourself, do I have a problem right now this second? And the answer is almost yes. always no. Right. And and when actual problems are happening, when you are in the hospital, when you lose your job, we often amaze ourselves at how well we handle it when it's actually happening. And it's such a shame that we lose all the all the good days to the worrying. Um, so it's not something I've mastered, but I just I, I felt very true to me. So he's yeah. now is the book I go back to the most often. And I also love Brene Brown, Daring Greatly. And yeah, that's one of our favorites, too. Yeah. I think she also speaks the truth about the world and how we are at the moment. Um, and Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway is a kind of practical book. Just, you know, get out there and do something, anything. You know, even if it's just, in my case, like small things like opening bank statements or answering the phone to numbers I didn't know. These are two things that I put off doing. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're probably three of my favorites. So one thing that I identified with was the action part, you know, where you kind of knew like, okay, so many of us are reading these books and we get, we have the awareness, but we're not actually 
doing anything. Like it reminds me of the quote that you can't learn how to drive in a parked car. Like you, you have ah. to start the engine, you have to start moving. Yes. So I think that, you know, you intuitively knew that the action is the whole point is to do the things and see how it works. You know, going back, what would you have done differently, if anything? I wouldn't. You know, when I look back on that year, I just actually can't believe that I did all that I did. I, I'm so. It is pretty in the wild. I, 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 <laughs> it's you know, awesome. People, when they read the book, um, sometimes will say, is it all true? And I was like, oh, my God, it's all true. And I left out quite a lot because we had to cut the book. So there's actually more stuff that I didn't include in the book. I really put myself through a lot, which is why I came unstuck at certain periods. But I look back and there's nothing I would change about it. It all kind of just happened the way it happened. And I went in there with such sincere intentions to fix my life and it didn't go the way I wanted it to. And yet I wouldn't change any of the way it went because it got me to a really good place at the end. Um, then really it did change you because so it, it got, you, got you to a good place so in your it, mind. It really did. So yeah, I, I feel much more at peace with myself. And maybe that's something that comes with age as well. But no, I feel really proud of myself and what I did. And Are we allowed um, to ask you how old you are? Oh God, I'm ancient now. Well, no. <laughs> so I was I was 36 when I was doing that project. Yeah, um, I read that. Yes, and now I'm 43. That's not ancient. No, I'm 45 I'm compared to the book age. But I think, there's something, <laughs> I think there's something that happens in for me in my 40s. Yes, because I think I was 40 when the book was published, and there's something that's come in my 40s, which is just a kind of like a, oh, it's fine. You know, there's um, I think your 20s and 30s is quite. I felt a lot of pressure to prove myself and who am I? And um, yeah, I feel a bit more, a bit more relaxed about all that now. So there's this Steve Jobs once said that you, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect the dots looking back. So we have to trust that every single part of the journey is significant and important and happens for a reason. I think that the, your, your experience totally speaks to that, to that notion. Yeah. yeah I, I look back on the parts of the year where I was really, falling apart and, and really struggling at the time I thought I was failing my self-help project but I now look back and see they were the most important parts because that was when I was getting into the you know the real deep stuff and the truth of who I am and what life is about and so yeah there's some, I think that can also happen in life the stuff that you don't like when it's happening you can look back and see how important it was. The only thing is though if we hurt people along the way like if mm. we're just hurting ourselves or working on ourselves it's one thing that if we hurt people along the way, that's something to wonder about. Like, was that worth it? Mm, yeah. People who we value, right? People who are close to us, we hope will will forgive anything that we've done if we come to them with a sense, I guess, a sense of sincerity about wanting mm. to make things good again. I mean, if somebody wants to read self-help books and kind of do what you did, right? If I came and I said, you know, Marianne, I think that what you did is so cool. I want to try that. But what would you suggest? How would you suggest going about that? What is a realistic expectation? So I still I still read self-help books and I like self-help books. I think there's there's real wisdom in them. And there's an argument. Alan de Botton is a, a philosopher and a writer um, here in London. And he he says that humans have always needed guidance on how to live life. You know, it might have come from the village elder, our grandparents, religious figures, and now that quite often that guidance is coming from self-help books and I think there is real wisdom in some of them I would not ever want somebody to put themselves through what I put myself through I think it's too extreme um, so I suppose my advice would be 
read the books by all means. But if you find one you like, so say, for example, The Power of Now with me, just sit with it a while, you know, just read it, maybe reread it, go slow, because I think there can be this kind of slightly addictive consumption part of us that can kind of get triggered in, in, in well, in the whole of life, we're in a very kind of consuming culture. But, you know, you think if, we, if you buy one book, then 10 books is going to be better. And, you know, you skip through half of one and then you're on to the next one already. So I would say less is more. And if you're really struggling, and it doesn't even have to be a dramatic way, but just a feeling of unhappiness every day and a bit of a lostness and a loneliness, the books can be lovely to help you pinpoint what is going on. I think if you can afford to go and speak to a therapist, it's so helpful to go and figure yourself out a little bit with somebody who really knows how to help you do that. Right. And also in in England, there's a a great, a great organization called Shelf Help, which is a self-help book club, but they're really kind of a community. And so they will do weekly and monthly calls. And I like the idea of talking about these issues with other people, because sometimes actually all we need to hear is that you're not weird. Everyone feels like that. You know, sometimes that's just enough. Um, and and then to have, you know, maybe challenges that you do together could be more fun and a bit of accountability. But at a certain point through my project, it was actually just before I read The Power of Now, And I was really, really just not handling it all very well. I started to see a therapist and she was excellent. And she was, she just said, well, of course you're falling apart. It's like you've been experimenting on yourself with absolutely no supervision. But I didn't understand the psyche enough to understand that what I was doing was actually quite serious in a way because I just oh it's just self-help I really didn't understand but yeah you just need help with with trying to figure out things sometimes do you feel like you were doing it in an extreme way like do you think there's a way to read the self-help book that maybe just take an element from here or just you know not look at it as like this the only approach in the world just like I felt like when I was reading you there were funny <laughs> moments but you also took it so seriously I did no, it was, it, I really did so yeah it's, there were very funny moments but no it was actually I was deadly serious about all of it it became my yeah. whole life my whole life and I do absolutely think there's a way of reading these books and just enjoying the wisdom and also living your life um so I suppose there's a difference between yeah I think we should always be learning and growing in life and also accepting of where we are and I think my problem was that I wasn't I really thought I was broken and I just needed to fix myself you know and nobody is broken just nobody is we're all humans with good days and bad days and if you can read from that place of I want to learn and grow and I'm also all right the way I am, that's a nice way to do it if you can. But I know a lot of us don't feel like we're all right, but we are, right. you know. We are. That's such a good lesson. We're going to yeah. keep that in mind when we read our self-help books. It sounds so basic, doesn't it? And it's what my friends and family were telling me the whole way through. You know, we love you the way you are. What are you doing? <laughs> but there you go. Yeah. I think that so something that my therapist said to me, she likes self-help books and, and reads them. But she says the problem with self-help books is that you are reading them with the same mind that has created your problems. So you can sometimes just end up. So my mind was the kind of mind that was nothing I did was ever good enough. And I actually then applied that approach to self-help. None of the self-help right. I was doing was enough. You know, so I was, and I had done it before with work. I was, you know, I really thought if I just worked hard enough and did well at work, then that I'd feel all right. And that didn't happen. And I went through a gym phase where I thought if I just got really fit and 
had you know a six pack then I'd feel all right and I did that and I didn't and then it became <laughs> you know and a therapist um, or a good wise friend can help you get into the underlying thing of why why do you feel like nothing's ever enough and so I think if, if people can afford to, to access help then that's it's so so useful. I love that you that you mentioned that such a big part of being in a better place emotionally so you acknowledge the role of the other you know, in self-help. And I think self-help is a misnomer because that's the assumption that, well, you said the problem can't be solved from the same place it was created. Mm -hmm. And it's created assuming that it's all about the self and only we could solve our problems and we have to be able to do it. And And once we realize that we can't always help ourselves, sometimes we need to reach out, whether it's to a therapist or to a loved one and, you know, or a mentor, someone that you admire and respect then that's like, it's a game changer. You can't do it alone. We were actually introduced to your work by the late Lord Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. I, I, I know that. I was so, I, I was, I couldn't believe that. I was, that's incredible. Yeah, and he, he, he actually he, wrote about you in, in this book, in his book, Morality. Did he? He yes, did. You mentioned. He did. And, <laughs> yeah. and what he said was. Out of that. That's amazing. <laughs> and he, so he said that, you know, he's a, he was a self-help devotee. Like he read a lot of self-help books and what he discovered in that process is that, you no, know, he said what puzzled him was that, you know, the self is where it begins. And I'm going to, I'm going to read what he wrote because yes. I didn't want to butcher it. Um, self is where it begins, but not where it ends. It's the problem, not the solution. So he believed that, you know, the self-help movement does carry a lot of value, but but leaves out an essential and necessary component that he refers to as other help, like the role of the other in pulling us out, the people who listened to us, the ones who believed in us more than we believed in ourselves, the people who were there for us when we needed them, And he shares a verse from the Talmud that says that a prisoner can't get himself out of prison. Someone else needs to turn the key. And so self-help is so valuable in that, you know, change can only happen. It could only come from you, but you just can't do it alone. Sometimes you need someone to turn the proverbial key. Did you experience this? Um, And do you think we underestimate the role of the other um, in helping ourselves? Is that part of the problem? It's such a, such a good question and such a good point because I mean, Brené Brown also says this. She says she doesn't like the term self-help because she doesn't think we're meant to do it on our own. She thinks we're meant to help each other. And, yeah. and I, yeah, by nature, I was probably just one of those people that thought I just had to go away and, and fix something myself and then come back when I was all done and present myself perfect to the world. And of course, that just isn't, it's just not how things are. And often our flaws and the bits of us that we would, we feel really ashamed of are actually is so beautiful and human so one of the really important parts of my um my journey sorry mum is um I did a week <laughs> called the Hoffman process which is a very intense therapy week a group therapy week yeah you read about absolutely that absolutely petrified going there I was I I wanted to vomit I was so scared you know part of it at the beginning you stand up in front of other people and and just say why you're there and what's going on in your life and for me, it was just, you know, I'm unhappy all the time and I don't know why I have no reason to be unhappy. I have a good life. And, you know, cause I felt so much shame about the fact I was unhappy because, you know, people have real problems in the world and I didn't have real problems. And, but to say all that out loud and to have the people, total strangers, not laugh at me, not criticize me, not just to look at me with nothing but love and acceptance. And then for them to stand up and say the truth of their lives and, 
to just realize if that was it was the it was such a healing experience to just realize everybody has their pain they really really do it doesn't matter what kind of what job they have or whether they're married or not or and just to say it out loud and to be greeted by love and acceptance is the most amazing thing and i think you know that's a big part of why aa and 12 steps work it's the group it's the groupness of it um, that's really healing. And I suppose that's something that can be missed out when you're reading a self-help book on your own. It can sort of compound the isolation that might already be causing some of the problems. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I think we can help each other. And it's scary. It's really scary to say all the stuff out loud that you are so ashamed of. Um, yeah. In addition to that, um, something that stood out to me, I just finished your book this morning. Uh, and um, yes, what it, it's, I love the last chapter, actually, what you learned from self-help. But something that really stood out to me was what your mother said to you about visiting. She said you were, all, you were stuck in this process of healing through self-help and you were kind of were like stuck within yourself. And she said to you about visiting your neighbor, the poor woman can hardly walk, but she never complains. Do any of these books tell you to do things for other people or is it always about yourself? It's not healthy for anyone to think about themselves as much as you have. Yeah. And you wrote that you knew she was right. And this is actually something that Rabbi Sachs pointed out on self-help. We, be, You know, he says we've become more of an I generation um, instead of a we generation. Uh -huh. And part of that is that we're all into self-help. Yeah. You know, my mom is the opposite to me in that she spent her whole life. She was the oldest daughter of, I think, seven children. So, she, you know, from the age that she could stand and walk, she was helping to look after young ones. And then she was a teacher and then she had us, you know, her whole life is really always been looking outwards and looking after the people around her. And of course, mine has been quite the opposite. So then when my mom said that about her neighbor and I went down and visited and helped sweep up some leaves and I did feel such a rush of well-being and to just yeah get yourself out of yourself um well it's important and and, and do you feel that's part of the problem with self-help I don't yeah and I wonder this I mean there's actually quite a lot of books now coming out about the power of community and right I think I guess maybe all these things happen through at certain decades there's certain tone certain messages are more prevalent and I feel like we're coming into much more of the we space now than yes. the space yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a process. I think you're I think there's also that generational difference between your mother and you where your mother didn't grow up with say social media, uh with technology that makes the world a lot smaller and makes us more susceptible to, you know, comparison, mental health issues. I don't know if that's it's the specific thing, but for so many um especially people in this generation, I think a lot of the previous generations don't fully understand the experience um that we're having today. So having said that, I, we, there's a lot we could learn from each other. I'm sure there's a lot your mother could learn from you. And of course, a lot you could learn from her. It's sort of like a dual process. But, um, you know, and, and also I think that you're right in that we're moving toward um, a place of more understanding. And I think one of the reasons is because I think the mental health crisis that we're experiencing has gotten us to a point where we have to figure something out. Um, things are getting progressively worse, even though we have more opportunities for connection than ever before. And connection is really at the core. We're hardwired to connect. And Brene Brown speaks, you know, she talks so much about this, about vulnerability, about sharing your story. And I think what you did was not only courageous sharing your story, but I think it was, it was crucial. Like it was so important because we're heading down that road. We're heading on that path finally, right? It's better late than ever. Mm -hmm. And so I think that you have given other 
people and permission to share their struggles and hopefully help other people in the process. Cause that's really, I think the best way to do it. Can I just say that, um, I feel like just even talking to you now, I'm having like a bit of an aha moment that I can take a self-help book, but I need to come in with my own purpose and uh, my own meaning and also accept myself for who I am and read the self-help book, but also bring others into it, like have that mm-hmm. sense of community and know that I can give too, like have that in mind too. It's not only about me, it's about giving to the world. So I think that a self-help book can be beneficial if we have all those other things in mind, the lessons that you've learned. What are some of the key lessons that you've learned, like any takeaways that you feel are important? Well, just 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 to what you've just said there, I've met a woman recently. I've, during lockdown, I started doing writing workshops and it wasn't writing, you know, how to write a book or anything. It was just writing for expression and come together and we just, you know, just scribble and see what happens. And there's an amazing woman who comes to my workshop who is extraordinary for a lot of, she's, she has a terminal brain um, condition that means she's unlikely to live very long. And she's extraordinary. She has huge faith. She's a, um, a Christian. But she asked this question in one of the workshops, which is, what if heaven was everything you gave away? What if heaven was everything you gave away? And it's really sort of stayed with me. Um because the way she acts in the world is so generous, but not in this kind of saintly, anti-good way. It, it, it's just so generous. And she seems to have such fun doing it. And amazing things come back to her, but that's not why she's... But just because you want to be around a person like that, you know? Right. So what I learned I learned that we're, we're fine the way we are. And I suppose that the best thing about the book for me, hasn't necessarily just been what I learned in the process. It's been what's happened since the book has come out. So, you know, almost almost every day I will get a message from somebody just saying, thank you. It was like reading myself. And that's from all over the world. That's in South Korea and Italy and Sydney. And and it's so comforting. You know, you just think, oh, you know, we're all we're all just trying our best and many of us have this story that other people are doing it better and we're not quite doing it good enough and it's just not true so yeah the biggest lesson it's, it's comforting yeah it's, it's comforting to know that we're all working we're all trying yeah 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 as counterintuitive as this sounds that acceptance is a prerequisite for change you can't get to that place of change if you don't accept yourself as you are and I think that's where people might get confused and thinking that oh I'll only accept myself once I get to this place you need to come to a place of acceptance and then that doesn't mean that you're gonna stay the way you are I think also people think that well what if I accept myself and then I don't I don't end up meeting these goals. One of the books I really enjoyed that I haven't mentioned, I'm not going to say it because it's a swear word, but Effort is the name of the title. And he says that, yeah, we all, we're kind of, we're gripping on to the steering wheel of life, thinking that, you know, we have total control. And he actually thinks that we have much less control than we think we do. And that once we just say effort and let go and accept ourselves just as we are, he says that that's when life can take on its natural rhythm, you know, and things then do start to move. They just do because I used to have this fear that if I didn't try hard enough and I, you know, then I would just stay on the sofa and I'd never get up. And he'd say, okay, would you never get up? And I said, well, I mean, eventually I'd have to get up to get some food. And he's like, okay. You know, eventually, if you were to really go into that, I give up, I accept myself, 
you would get bored at a certain point and then you would want to go off and do something. But that something would probably be coming from quite a different place from that. I must do something. It's like a spontaneous, you know, like the way kids want to play and be active and draw. And they're not doing that because a voice is telling them, I need to be creative right now or I need to get some exercise. It's a natural thing. Um, So, yeah, I think if, if we can just go easier and accept ourselves right now and, you know, I think at the moment through this year, I felt periods of huge exhaustion. And, you know, a bit of me is really criticizing myself for that, pull yourself together. But then now I'm just thinking, if you need to sleep, go sleep. <laughs> you know, that it's right. That, it's, that's, it's a balance, you know, working on ourselves and also allowing ourselves to rest. That balance yeah. is, it's like a hard balance to achieve. And then the balance as well between thinking about yourself and examining yourself and then thinking of other people and right. them, you know, all of it is a balance because, you know, you could say that the older generation, my mum has been so selfless to the extent that she's probably neglected herself quite a lot. I've yeah. gone to extreme, somewhere in the middle. Is Maybe this generates, that's what you're saying, like this generation now is kind no, of bringing it together. No, they seem to be very active, you know, active and involved in causes for younger generation now. It's, yeah, we'll see. And they have so much pressure in terms of social media and insecurity of the economy and politics. And I feel for the younger ones. And maybe they'll figure out a better way. I don't know. Hopefully. Well, like yeah. you say, sometimes when it's so hard, that's the only way to change. Like you said in your book, like when you're, you know, and so it is so hard for today's generation. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's, they're the generation that's going to kind of bring that balance together. Maybe. Yeah. And, and maybe we'll all start learning from toddlers. I love that yeah. you said that. It's so true. <laughs> that's our diff- our default is to be free and to do what we yeah. And we don't see toddlers just sitting around being lazy. They get up and walk even if they fall. Yeah. And then they have a nap and then they yeah. get up to bed, you know, and then they cry when they need to cry. And Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so that, that kids yeah. don't have to do what we have to do. Do you know what I mean? It's so it's true. It's true. It's there's true. that element that we need to take into account as adults, but yeah, there's, there's obviously, yes, what to learn from children. <laughs> That's true. You know, we've yeah. got something, we've got something new that we're doing to, um, and we're actually going to get you to finish a couple of sentences that we're, we're curious to know about you. So Ida, I thought maybe I'll do one sentence, you do the other one. Yeah, and we're going to see what Marianne has to say. <laughs> um, <laughs> so your favorite thing to do for self-care is? sleep uh, I'm going to say it in the first person so I feel most myself when I'm dancing oh I love that <laughs> my definition of success is waking up in the morning and you know when you wake up in the morning and you, you don't have that feeling of dread which I did for a lot of years to wake up in the morning and, and feel feel happy about the day and about yourself love that the best compliment I received was? I got a really good one recently and I, I I loved it so much. And it was to do with these writing workshops that I've been doing. And somebody said that Marianne makes it feel okay to be exactly how you are in, in her company. You know, that you can, that people can just be themselves. When, That's so nice. When with, I was delighted with that. It was a lovely thing. Yeah. That's really special. Um, I am most inspired by? My friends, yeah, so my nice. funny, clever friends. 
you're lucky yeah. you've got good friends. Good. So lucky. And yeah. that's such a huge part of it. We, we didn't talk so much about friends, but to be surrounded by positive energy and people who bring out the best in you, that's that's huge. That can really, really improve our mental health, I think. On terms of, on terms of the friendship notes, I wrote an article, I think it might have been after the book first came out, but it was about friendship because there was a, a magazine editor here in London who was wrote a piece about how she actually didn't have any friends. You know, she was this really successful woman and she married and, and, you know, seemed like a great person, but somewhere along the way in her adulthood, all her friends had scattered. They'd moved to other countries, other parts of England. They'd had children. And I think there's quite a lot of shame around the fact that some of us don't feel like we have a lot of friends because it feels like a really kind of, um, oh, there must be something wrong with me. But actually, this is also something that's being written about quite a lot now, that the way that modern life is set up is that it's very hard to find or keep friendships with how busy we are and how we're pulled in different directions. So when I say that I'm grateful for my friends, a bit of me is also quite aware that lots of people don't have good friends. And it's not because they're not great people. It's just it's actually not that easy at the moment to come across. Um, So I would always kind of want to say for people that don't have good friends or haven't found their people to put yourself out there a little bit. So say like the therapy week that I did, that was the first time I think I really, really showed myself completely to a group of strangers. And actually I, I showed myself there more than I had done even with my friends. And in order to make good friendships, you need to show yourself. And sometimes we don't want to do that. Um, so for people that don't have good friends, I just, I don't know why I always just want to say it's not weird. It's quite normal. And we can do something about it if you can just show up a little bit. Um, so true. Do you know, yeah. Ida and I um, found each other through sharing our stories with each other. And that, I mean, we knew each other before, but that's where our friendship, that's where we were really bonded by sharing our stories. Yeah. Um, right. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yes. I, I really that, appreciate that. How do you maintain your relationship with your friends? How do you keep that connection? We have loads of ups and downs because, you know, most of my friends are raising children and running businesses and, you know, they have a lot more demands on their time than I do. God has blessed you with good friends, but I think, I think also it takes effort. You need to put, you know, both people have to put effort into the relationship. Yeah, I do put effort into my friendships because I think my romantic life is always fairly quiet and my friends are the loves (laughs) of my life. So I do put effort in and, and they do with me too. So and we've had our fights, you know, there are definitely points when it doesn't, it's not so nice, but we all stick in there somehow. So I, I feel very, very blessed in this area, but I, I just know that it's not the case for many people and don't think there's something wrong with you if you don't have these friends. There's this idea again in society that friendship should just come effortlessly, you know, and it should all just be like friends, the sitcom. And it's not like that. You know, there's all these books telling you how to navigate romantic relationships and not many books until recently telling you how to negotiate friendships because they they also take some difficult conversations and compromises and boundaries and so which book would you recommend for friendships oh the friendship cure is the one i'm thinking of so he's um, mark vernon his name is and he was actually a vicar in and he's not anymore so he was church of england he's, hey we're he, gonna get that book that's our yeah. next book we're gonna read <laughs> so i i interviewed him once many years ago and it was so he was so spot on and everything he was saying and you know and sometimes we have to break up with friends and that's really painful and again not something that 
is necessarily discussed very much. Okay, so I'm going to get you to finish one or two more sentences. Um, I feel feel alive when? I'm by the sea. Oh, nice. I can relate to that. Yeah, Yeah, the sea does a lot. Ida lives right by the sea. Uh, (laughs) um, Okay, and I, I love the sea too. Agreed. A quote I love is? Things take the time they take. Don't worry. Ooh. Mary Oliver, things to take. So and true. I, I, I yeah. think almost every day when I'm beating myself up for work not going as fast as I'd like it to, things take the time they take. Yeah, that reminds me of the quote, trust the timing of your life. So yes, it's I kind love of similar. That yeah, love yeah. That. To trust that everything is moving as it should and not wanting things to be different than the way they are right now. So what's next for you in the coming years? What, well, any projects? Yes, I'm I'm writing a second book now, which is about love and relationships and how to have a life with love in it that doesn't necessarily mean marriage and children. And so I've, I'm looking at friendships and community. Would you like to get married? I don't know. I don't I don't think so, because it hasn't happened. And almost everything else in life that I've wanted somehow has happened. So I think. Well, you never know. You know, this is it. I know, exactly. You never ever know. But I, I'm really blessed with a lot of love in my life, and I'm open to that's it beautiful. taking whatever form it takes. Yeah. So that's and that's it. So I think the, the the Hollywood narrative of finding your prince charming or your princess can be so strong that it can, and in the past has made me feel like a failure for not ticking this box. Right. And yeah, my life is like full, full to brimming with love everywhere else. But for years, because it wasn't in that particular form, I was blind to all the rest of it. So yeah, I'm open. Life, I don't know, life will have its own life in, in course. Whatever's going to happen will happen. But this is about trying to enjoy what you have right now and being open to different forms of love. That's so important is, is to, well, first to not compare to any ideal, especially the Hollywood ideal or social media or any of those things, and to not measure success on someone else's yardstick. And I think that too many people do that. Me, success is about comparing myself today from the way I was yesterday. And that's it. That's the only logical, true comparison that I can make without setting myself up for, I guess, perceived failure, You know, whether it's in relationships and friendships and even our family relationships. I hear so many people complaining about their families, like, oh, it's so dysfunctional. I wish I was more like that family. Well, guess what? How well do you know that family? Maybe they have their own dysfunction, but that's not the point. Like you said, if you share your experiences, people realize, hey, we're all going through similar things, maybe in different ways, but we're all going through things, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I look forward to reading we, we look forward book. to your book yes. when is it coming I know that you teach writing classes as well correct oh yes yes um so they're called writing for fun and sanity and they're just the Saturday workshops so we do them in the middle of the day in England so we get people from all around the world coming in at different they're in their different time zones but it's almost it's almost like, you know, in, in self-help books, sometimes there will be the journaling prompts and, and questions to think about. It's almost, we do, well, a different theme emerges each week, either just depending on what's happening in the world that week or what I might have read or what someone says in the class. And then we just do journaling together around that. And then there's really good conversations and yeah, a beautiful, beautiful bunch of people come um, that's been going six months now. It was just, it was just something to do in lockdown and it's really yeah, it's been one of the best things about this year. Um, so that's I should, yes, come, that. I should come and get some writing tips from you because I'm working on a 
cookbook slash health book and um, I noticed that you're a writing teacher so I, I should definitely come. Fantastic you'd be Get so welcome. Tips. Thank you so much and I think the gift that you've given all of us was in your book um, which is called Help Me and we'll include a link for it Thank in our you. podcast notes. I think you redefined self-help and how we understand it yeah. and I th- I personally think that your book should be a prerequisite for any other self-help book out there because it, it expands your, our thinking about what self-help means and the role that it plays in our lives. You know, I'm grateful to Lord Rabbi Sachs for introducing it to me, and I'm so excited for our listeners who are going to pick it up and read it. I think you won't be disappointed. What so I'm, you know what I'm going to say to you? Because you said this in the last line of your book, and I'm just saying it to you <laughs> genuinely. Remember this. You're doing great. You really are. Love that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We all are. I think, you know, for any of us to have even got through the last 12 months with any kind of parts, you know, it's weird, yeah, we're all doing great. Thank you so much for having me on and for, yeah, asking me such lovely questions, thoughtful questions. And yeah, thank you. Lovely to meet you. We hope to meet you in person someday. Yes, I'd love that. Well, if you're ever in in Bell Harbor or in Brooklyn, feel feel free to reach out. (laughs) Yes. We'll take you, I'll take you to the ocean, to the, to the yes, sea. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I don't know if I can do that for you in Brooklyn, but I can certainly <laughs> take you. You'll, you'll feel alive here. Don't worry. Guys, <laughs> thank okay. you very much. All right. Okay. All right. Take care. Have a wonderful night. Take care. Bye-bye. I really enjoyed that. Thank you. Bye-bye.